I love our vision statement as a church. A vision statement is where you see your church going or where you see your organization or anything going if you carry out your mission well over the next medium to long-term time period. And our vision statement as a church, you heard at the beginning of the service, and I'll share it with you again, Lemon Cove Community Church will be a welcoming family of imperfect people finding wholeness in Jesus Christ. That's supposed to be a snapshot, a picture of what the party might look like in, in five to ten years or however long it takes us to get there. And then we articulated several core values, four core values, and said this is how we're going to get to that place. We said, first, we're going to worship God. He's going to be at the center of everything that we do. Secondly, we're going to invite everyone. That's my favorite part. It's simple, right? Invite everyone. Is this a person I want to invite? Well, are they part of everyone? Then yes, I want to invite that person. We're going to invite everyone. We're going to serve our neighbors because that's what Jesus did. And then, uh-oh, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on our fourth one. Can anyone help me out here? <laughs> to serve our neighbor, worship God. Uh, well, what was that, Kelly? You know all this stuff. Well, that's apparently the one I need to work on. We'll come back to that at the end of the service today. I should have put that in my notes. You always blank on something. Anyway, I love, I love our vision statement. I love our core values. I think they're really helpful. And I think that they're a way of expressing what we find here in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 to 8, that Dee just read for us. We are put here together. We're put here together. We're not just a bunch of individuals who happen to get together on you know, one day a week for an hour and 15 minutes or so. We're actually placed together here for each other and for our community. Reveal God's love. That's the fourth one. I should have known that. We're actually put here together on purpose. Not only this, but we need each other. We need each other. We will be less. We will be less able to achieve that vision, to live out those core values, if we aren't all bought in here at this place together. We need each other. This is what Paul means as he's saying, well, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and not all those members have the same function, you, we, are the same. So we in Christ, though many, form one body. One body. Uh, is anyone here good at everything? I, I, if any of you raised your hands, you'd say you're not good at being humble. <laughs> You're not good at being self-aware, right? Nobody is good at everything. But we need all sorts of different tools in order to be the people that God has called us to be in this place, don't we? How many times in your own life have you experienced you are, you're living your life and everything feels fine and somebody comes up to you and says, everything's not fine. They point out some truth about you that on your own you never would have known. And sometimes it's, it's a good thing. Sometimes you're feeling bad about yourself and someone comes along and says, I so appreciate that you are this way or you have this thing or you do this thing. 
And we needed that. It's hard to constantly encourage ourselves on our own. Sometimes we need correction, don't we? We're going in one direction, and it's not good for us. And someone comes along and says, I want what's best for you. And I need to tell you something about where you're going. We need each other. We need each other because not any one person has all of the gifts. Listen to what he says. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If it's prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. Any prophets here? Anyone feel particularly prophetic? I know we have some. You may not even know that it's you, but I guarantee you that we're not all prophets. I learned this myself. I think I shared this when we went to the national gathering. George and I, we accidentally went to a breakout session on prophecy, and we didn't leave like we probably wanted to do, but we, we had some prophecy exercises while we were there, and you know, the, the leaders all, hey, you know, so we're going to do this exercise. You, know, you prophesied to this person this thing, and so we went through it, and I got nothing. But the person who was speaking to me had a lot. It was amazing. Not all gifted in the same way. If your gift uh, is t- serving, then serve. You know, there are some people, they are awesome at service. And all of us can serve. All of us ought to serve. But there are some people that they are servants inside and out. And we need those folks in part to teach us to serve and in part to build up the ministries in this place in the way that no one else can do. If it's teaching, then teach. Some people are excellent teachers and some people not so much. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. I bet you can think of people in your life that just encourage you. And they are specially and specifically gifted for that. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're thinking, I can do that. I'm really good at that. If it's giving, then give generously of of time and of talents and of treasure and of anything else. We don't all have the same resources to give out, the same talents, the same time, and the same treasure. If it's to lead, do it diligently. I have met some people who never sought leadership or were the most amazing leaders, just naturally and with the help of the Holy Spirit. I've met other people who desperately wanted leadership and should never come anywhere near it. We are not all gifted in the same way. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This isn't an exhaustive list of gifts, but I think it's a helpful one. You know some people that no matter what others have done, they have it in themselves to show mercy. And what a gift. They lead us in that. We don't all have the same gifts. We need each other. And it's a good thing, too. One of the reasons we have these small groups in our church, and if you're not part of a small group, I really encourage you to join one. But one of the reasons we have these small groups is because life is too much for any one of us to live on our own. We need encouragement. We need correction. We need help. There are people in another passage in Scripture where it talks about these gifts. It says some are gifted evangelists, and some of us are not. And I know gifted evangelists in this church. I could call them out by name. And we're trying to figure out how, some of us are trying to figure out how to reach our friends and our neighbors with the good news about Jesus Christ. And we're realizing I'm not a gifted evangelist. And what if we could call on those folks in our church. Will you counsel me? Will you lead me? Will you go with me? Will you help me? We're a body with many members. Not all of us have the same function. 
But you know what else we know? Not only do we need each other, sometimes it's hard to be with each other, isn't it? You ever experience, as a matter of fact, uh, Kayla and I, when we were much younger, were part of a small group, and it was not a particularly functional small group. There are some very dysfunctional relationships in this group. And imagine, we're all you know, 22, 23, something like that. We're all f- relatively newly married. I mean, you had to be at that age, pretty much. And uh, we got together to study the Bible, and we were in very different places in life. There was a, a couple, they were in law school, and one of them was already an engineer, right? They're high achievers. I'm an engineer, but I want to go to law school, just you know, for fun. Uh, actually, now he's a patent attorney. And then we had other people who are, are working the most blue-collar sorts of jobs. We had these social and economic divides in our group. And then we had personality divides. We had couples who, you know, we're, we're 22, 23, just married. Some of us may have been younger than that, now that I think about it. And some of them are starting to have babies. And some of us are not starting to have babies. And there was this disconnect that developed there where the couples who started having babies looked at the couples who weren't starting having babies and feeling judged by the people who weren't starting to have babies, right? Like, well, you know, we're pursuing career. You guys are such losers just having your children. And it turned into this big argument in our small group, and we ended up fracturing and breaking our relationship with each other. Man, life together is hard. It is not easy. These sometimes really innocuous things, and of course you find this out when you have roommates, uh, which of course if you're married, you probably have a roommate, and you find, what, what are your big arguments? Like it's often not about, you know, what should we be when we grow up? Or it's often not about the biggest decisions you make. Probably your golden oldie arguments are things like, I cannot believe you squeeze the toothpaste from the middle of the tube. What kind of monster squeezes the toothpaste from the middle of the tube? If you're a middle tube squeezer here this morning, let me just tell you, I love you, and I accept you, and I forgive you. (laughs) Anyway. It's hard. It's hard to do relationship and life together. How, how can we be the sort of church where we have strong relationships with each other? This is Church 101, isn't it? This is Church 101. So what I did this week is I went to, I looked up uh, the different places in the New Testament where the Greek word alelon was used, which means one another. And I, I forgot to count exactly how many times it appears. I think it was sometime like 25 to 30 times where there is something where Jesus or one of the apostles says to the church in Scripture, one another. This is who you should be to one another. This is what you should do for one another. This is how you should think of one another. And then I broke them down, not in any sort of inspired way. As a matter of fact, uh, I, I wasn't super satisfied when I was done, but I broke them down into five different categories. And I want to share these five categories with you this morning and talk about how do we build relationships with each other such that we can do this Romans 12 stuff, such that we are ready to live together and to love each other. Well, first of all, I told you my very favorite part of our mission statement is invite everyone. And I think that there are a number of these one another passages that tell us that we need to constantly be inviting one another in one way or another no pun intended. There are four places in the New Testament 
where the writer tells us to uh, essentially greet one another with a holy kiss. So we're going to start kissing. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. (laughs) This was a very cultural thing in the first century. It was a way you showed affection. It was like a handshake, but probably a little bit more. I'm glad to see you. I am glad to meet you. I'm glad to be with you. There uh, is a, a passage that simply says, welcome one another. But out of all of these passages that I summarized under invite one another, I just want to focus on one. I'm going to do this for each of the five categories. And it's in 1 Peter 4.10. I'm going to, I'm going to flip there just so I make sure I, I get everything right this morning. But 1 Peter 4.10. And here's what it says. Oop, that's 2 Peter. Here's 1 Peter. Each of you... Nope, that's not it. Oh, man, I'm having all sorts of problems this morning, aren't I? And speaks as she, as she... Well, what he says in 1 Peter 4 something <laughs> is show hospitality to one another. Show hospitality to one another. Now, we already have a pretty good idea of what hospitality means and what it's like, don't we? We know hospitality is things like invite someone over to dinner. You know, when they come to your house, give them a drink. Uh, when, when you're welcoming someone for the first time, make them feel welcome. That's the whole idea behind hospitality. There's a, but I think it's really helpful to get a sense of, of what it meant in the first century and what it meant to actually all throughout Scripture because hospitality was one of the key and cardinal virtues in the ancient world. Hospitality, it wasn't like, especially in the Old Testament, it wasn't like there was a Motel 6 everywhere that you could just stay. Right? And people had to travel sometimes. You had to take your goods to the market. You had to go visit family that had moved. You had to go and register and pay taxes or go to Jerusalem for the festival or something along these lines. And you know, there were no cars. There were no airplanes. So you walked everywhere. Uh, most people did. Maybe if you were lucky, you had a horse and a cart or something like that. But most people walked everywhere, which meant that they often had to stay overnight someplace. There wasn't enough time to get there and back in the same day. And so what people would do is they'd go sort of into the town square, and towns often were small enough, like Lemon Cove, right? When there's a visitor in Lemon Cove, we all know that's a visitor in Lemon Cove, because we all know everybody in Lemon Cove. That's the size of the town. And so someone would appear in the town square, and someone would realize, this is a, a stranger. This is someone who doesn't live here. And they'd go up and say, oh, welcome to our town. We're so glad that you're here. Do you have a place to stay tonight? And they'd say, well, no, that's part of why I'm here. They said, well, come on over to my house. You're staying with me, and I'm going to give you dinner tonight, and I want to hear all about your life. They'd practice hospitality with each other. Now, we live in a different world. There are Motel 6s in lots of different places. There's a campground just down the road. It's not that we can't invite people to stay overnight at our houses, but I think the primary way that we show hospitality to people is a bit different. We say, I want to build relationship with you. And I'm going to extend a welcome to you in such a way that you will be interested. That you'll see that there's something to do. (laughs) Kelly's looked this up for me. This is great. 3 John 1.8. We're going to check this out. Here's here's my verse. I I got my label wrong here. You don't think so? I don't know. 1 Peter 4.9. 1 Peter 4.9. 1 Peter 4.9. 
Okay, well, anyway, wherever we are, I, you know, sometimes you write notes for everything and it still doesn't work out at all for some reason or another. I must have just been looking here. Yeah, First Peter 4.9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. I was just one verse off. So offer hospitality to people without grumbling. Extend a welcome to people such that they want a relationship with you. And why do we do this? Why do we do this? Well, first of all, one of the reasons they did this in the ancient world is because they loved telling stories about how the gods would take on human form, and they'd knock on someone's door. We've got fairy tales like this too, don't we? And they'd say, oh, I'm really hungry. Will you feed me, or I need a place to stay tonight. Can I stay with you? And the ancient world's full of these stories where people would go, no, I don't want, you know, who, who are you? Get out and slam the door in their face. And the gods would be like, zap! And that would be the end of those people. Or the people who would say, oh, very, you know, welcome, come on in. And then the gods would give them a gift. So there was, there was actually a religious idea surrounding this of we don't know who these people are or if there's someone really important or even one of the gods. We need to show hospitality and invite relationship to everyone, just in case. But doesn't Jesus say something similar? Don't you remember in the Gospels, Jesus says, if you just give someone a glass of cool water in my name, the least of these people, if you just give them a glass of water, you're doing it for me. How much more Jesus' own children by faith? How much more is Jesus saying, hey, the people in your church, if you show hospitality to them, you're showing it to me. And I'll remember that. That's first, practice hospitality to honor Jesus care for his children. But secondly, the practice of hospitality, hospitality builds and provides for the community, doesn't it? Well, I see you have a need, and I want to help meet that need, and I want to get to know you as a result. This isn't just, you know, I'm going to write you a check so you'll go away, but I want to be a part of your life. A strong church practices hospitality. If we want to be a church that can achieve that vision that we're talking about, a welcoming family of imperfect people finding wholeness in Jesus Christ, invite your church. Invite your community. Show hospitality. Do this. We already have ministries, by the way, that are engaged in this. What about our community dinner once a month? Just inviting folks in, practicing hospitality. And we do it as individuals as well. First, we are told to invite one another. Secondly, do good to one another. This doesn't sound like rocket science, does it? If you want good relationships with people, be good to each other. The one another passages say things like encourage one another. Be kind to one another. But the one I wanted to focus on is, I hope it's Romans 12.10. So far this morning, I don't have reason to trust that it is. Here it is. Oh, good. Be devoted to one another in love, but this one in particular. Honor one another above yourselves. Honor one another above yourselves. Michael Byrd writes, The statement is profound in an honor-shame context. As Paul, Remember, the people in the first century, their primary way they found value for themselves was in the honor they gained and the shame they avoided, hopefully. It wasn't just achievement, it was honor. What does everyone think of me? 
And Paul is telling Christians not to pursue honor for themselves, says Bird, but for others. In practice, in the church, this would imply at the very least, you know, it wouldn't exclude a situation with slave owners giving honor to their slaves. In the ancient world, people in the church sometimes owned slaves. The wealthy did. And owned slaves is maybe a little bit disingenuous. It was different in the first century. It wasn't uh, uh, American chattel slavery. It was something somewhat different that I can't describe uh, in the time we have this morning. But can you imagine owners being told, outdo your slaves in giving them honor? Their job it seems like it's to honor you, but your job is to do even better at honoring them. And don't we have challenges with this today? Aren't there people in our church, perhaps, that in our own hearts we don't feel are very honorable people? That person's not as gifted as I am, not as talented as I am, not as wealthy as I am. What are the other ways we might compare ourselves to each other? And Paul's saying, you can never think like that in the church. As soon as you do, the whole thing is going to start to fall apart. Outdo one another in showing honor. Invite one another. Do good to one another. Third, make an effort for each other. Do it on purpose. Don't just let it be an accident Make an effort for each other. Among the things that the scriptures say, forgive one another, that takes effort, doesn't it? Forgiveness often costs something. Bear with one another. Who needs help? Will you go and help? Practice, oh, no, that's the next one. Submit to one another. Man, that's a tough one sometimes, isn't it? That maybe needs more explanation, but I, I want to focus on this on one in particular. Have the mindset of Christ for one another. This appears twice, both in the book of Romans. I'm going to take you, again, fingers crossed, Romans 15.5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. Get that? May the God who gives endurance and encouragement, you might need to know that, give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. What was the attitude that Christ Jesus had for us? Paul writes elsewhere in Philippians chapter 2. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Keep the mindset of Jesus Christ as your own, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Look how great I am, serve me, but instead made himself nothing. He took the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and then humbling himself from God to man out of love for us. 
he humbled himself as living man to dead man. He became obedient to death, the author of life, even death on a cross. When Jesus looks at you, how much does he value you? He sets your good ahead of his own. And Paul tells us that in a healthy church, you do the same. Have the mindset of Christ for one another. Make an effort for each other. If we want a church that lives up to our vision, we need to invite one another, do good to one another, make an effort for each other, and we need to practice our faith with one another. I think sometimes we come to church for a personal experience, don't we? I think sometimes we come to church so that we will be fed and grow as an individual so we can go out to the real rest of our lives. I think Presbyterians in some ways, which is what uh, we are, are particularly uh, vulnerable to this sort of idea. Because how do Presbyterians worship? Remember? Yeah. Yeah, sometimes we, we do stand. That's pretty good. That's, that's something. But yeah, have you ever been, has anyone here ever been to like a Pentecostal worship service? Do they worship like Presbyterians? No, not at all, right? I mean, they're singing and dancing and, you know, we can't even clap. You ever seen the movie uh, The Jerk with Steve Martin? Remember at the beginning when he says he was born uh, a young black boy, poor black boy in wherever it was, and everyone's, you know, they're, they're playing some song, and he's, he's trying to clap along with it. And whenever I see it, I always think, Presbyterian, right there. Like when we, see, we were at the national gathering, right? And there's this amazing music, and they're playing, and the worship leaders up front, they start clapping along. They're indicating to us that we can clap. We're all out there like... You're trying to make it work. We can't quite figure it out, right? And, and then, of course, later on, Steve Martin, the jerk, finds his, uh, finds his music on the radio, and he's dancing back and forth. Like, we, got our, we got our thing, right? But it's, yeah. It is, that's one of my very favorite movies. Somebody hates these cans, so. But we, uh, but, I think sometimes the reason that we, you know, we, we struggle and we, we don't do the, the hand raising and, and we don't do the hallelujah or whatever else it is, that people, and some of us do, and that's a wonderful thing. I love that in our congregation, but because we're not really comfortable sharing our spiritual lives with each other, are we? There's a sense in which we feel that's kind of private. That's sort of between me and God. And it's hard for us to start talking about our spiritual lives together. And this week, geez, how often, just you don't, don't raise your hand, but how often, some of you do this, I know, some of us, this is a lot harder, but how often do you go up to somebody and say, this is what Jesus is doing in my life this week? Or tell me about what Jesus is doing in your life this week. How often do you go up to somebody and say, can we stop and pray together right now? I need that. How often do you just praise God? You go, you, you belong to my church. You love Jesus. Praise God with me. I'm so excited about what he's doing. in my. We internalize these things. And listen, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that I want us to all worship like Pentecostal people. We're not. There are things as Presbyterians that we're good at. 
I uh, had lunch with the pastor of the Church of Christ in Exeter like nine or ten years ago. And I remember him saying, if I want to read some good theology, I pull out a Presbyterian. And I thought, yeah, you do. (laughs) There are things that we are really good at. But there are places where we can grow. And there are things that we can learn. Let's always worship like Presbyterians, but let's not worship like Presbyterians who are afraid to share our spiritual lives together. Practice. We need to practice our faith with one another. Uh, the passage uh, that this came out of is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, and you know, it's certainly worth reading with each other. I love what it says. Ephesians 5, verse 19, once again, crossing those fingers. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Clint Arnold, one of my seminary professors, notes that this one one another passage is a means by which we are filled with the Spirit. Do you want the Holy Spirit in your life? Well, do you think the Holy Spirit's really excited to come and fill you up if you're not excited to pour him out to the people around you? And do you think you might get filled up with the Holy Spirit by people pouring him into you through their praise, through their psalms and spiritual songs? If we don't do this, we're not going to have that church that's in our vision statement. Practice our faith together. Praise God to one another. Share our spiritual lives with each other. Now, I'm not saying, by the way, find a stranger and share your most intimate spiritual secrets with them. But build those relationships in this place. Finally, if we are to invite one another, do good to each other, make an effort for each other, practice our faith with each other, last and definitely the most numerous of all the one another passages, love one another. Love one another. 1 John 3.11, this is what God told us from the beginning. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 to 23, obedience to, uh, uh, to our faith results in brotherly love. 1 Peter 4.8, love covers a multitude of sins, so love one another. 1 John 4.7 through 12, this long discourse on it, summarized, love is from God, and the one who loves has been born of God and knows him. If God has loved us, then love each other. Romans 12.10 pretty much just says, love one another. 1 John 3.23, God commands that we love one another. John 13, 34 to 35, Jesus commands that we love one another, and then the whole world will know that we belong to God. John 15, 12 to 17, Jesus commands again, love one another, and do it the way Jesus did. There is nothing that will short-circuit the process of being a healthy church faster than not loving each other. There is nothing that will move us closer to the good vision God has given us than loving each other. So what does that look like? Well, Cal gave a great sermon several weeks ago on love and what it is and what it does and what it's like and why it matters. I'm just going to go right to 1 Corinthians 13. This is the easiest way to cheat, okay? This is the love passage in the whole Bible, 1 Corinthians 13. We read it at weddings all the time. 
If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, if I can do amazing things through the power of the Holy Spirit, but I do not have love, I am just a crashing symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and a faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, it's not worth a single thing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, look how much I have accomplished. Look how much I've done. Look how much I've given up. But if I don't have love, God won't give me any reward at all. Because at the end, it was about me. If it's not done in love, it's done for me. Here's what love is. It is patient. And we're already disappointed, aren't we? Oh, patience is like the hardest part of love. Love is kind. Of course it is. It does not envy. It doesn't look at people and say, I wish I had what they had. But it celebrates. Look what this person, look at how God has gifted them. Oh, man, I talk about this with my kids all the time, right? Because what do kids do? They see someone else has something and they want it. And then they get upset because they don't have it. We come right back here. Love does not envy. What, wouldn't it be better? I don't know if children are ready to take this in. Frankly, I don't know if adults are ready to take this in. But wouldn't it be better if instead of wishing you had that thing, you were happy for that person? Because that's love. It doesn't boast. Love is not an excuse to have people admire you. It's not proud. Right? And doesn't pride get in the way? Well, I deserve this. Oh, I deserve. It's not that we don't deserve good things. It's not that we don't have dignity and value and worth. But whenever I hear, whenever I start to say in my own heart or out loud, I deserve, I realize what I'm really saying is I'm selfish. I'm so busy protecting my rights that I don't care for yours any longer. It's not that we should never talk about I deserve, but it's so often a cover for that selfishness. Does not dishonor others. Hey, that sounds pretty obvious, doesn't it? How can we love someone and tear them down at the same time? It is not self-seeking. The end of love is not that I am fulfilled, but that you are fulfilled. It is not easily angered. Man, it if you've had close relationships with people you love, you still get angry sometimes, don't you? Maybe easily. But I think what they're really saying here is it matters more what you do with your anger. Am I just going to let my anger rule or will I let love rule in my heart? Keeps no record of wrongs. Forgives, and it means it when it forgives. I love, uh, it, it cracks me up in probably a pretty sad way, Whenever I hear people say, I've forgiven that person, but I don't ever want to see them again. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. You know, I was thinking about this. You know what I love, what I like about this the most is it tells us that love isn't only something I feel. If it was, we'd all be in big trouble, wouldn't we? Because our feelings change so much from moment to moment. They're affected by how much sleep I have, when the last time I ate was, 
you know, how healthy or not I am, things that are in my control and out of my control. If love was entirely based on feelings, I would never be able to intentionally love somebody. I could only do whatever my heart felt like doing that day. Now, love is related to our feelings, but it is not the same as our feelings. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It has to do with our minds as well as our hearts. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Maybe that's the hardest thing of all at the end of the day. Maybe that's the hardest part of love at the end of the day. Because we get to a place where we say, that's it, I'm done. I can't do this any longer. And then God, because he's good and also obnoxious, comes to us and he says, I died for you. Are you dead yet? Then you can keep loving. It never fails. Keep going. Keep going a little bit farther. The reason love hasn't changed what's happening in your life yet, the reason love hasn't changed what's happening in this person's life yet is not because it's going to fail, but because you're not done. You're not to the end yet. There's a, a great scene in the dark, uh, the dark Knight Rises, the last of the Christian Bale and Christopher Nolan Batman movies, because we needed a Batman reference this morning, where one of the characters you know, says, if you do this to Batman, you will die. You've already given everything for these people. You don't owe them anything more. And Batman responds by saying, I haven't given them everything. Not yet. Folks, be Batman! Love never fails. Keep on going to the very end. And when you find that you don't think you can go any farther, you know what you do? You find somebody who loves you and who will walk with you however much farther you need to go. Let's be that church. Can we do that? Can we be people who are really committed to the vision in this place. A welcoming family, everyone's invited. Of imperfect people, you don't have to earn it here. Who are finding wholeness. Right? We're, we're still broken. We're not all the way repaired yet. But we are finding wholeness together in Jesus Christ. Is that worth giving your life to here? Man, I am all in. That's the church I want. That is the pastor I will be for you. The person who walks with you on the journey. And when I don't live up to that, there'll probably be a time when that happens. I will have this great company with me. I say, Ian, remember who you want to be. Ian, remember the church you want in this place. Ian, remember what God has done for you. And I'll say, oh, you're so annoying. But you're right. 
and I'll be that pastor for you in return. Will you do that for each other? Will you, as we, this is the end of the sermon, great transition, would you look at the people again in front of you and next to you and behind you? I mean, seriously, look. I want to see heads turning, okay? (laughs) God has given you these people to do life with. Will you make that promise to them and with them today? Folks, can we do this? Yeah. Can we really do this? Yes. God's going to help us to do this. He won't leave us on our own. He's already given us the example of Jesus, so we know just where we're going. And he's given us his Holy Spirit. And how do we invoke that Spirit? Sharing our lives together. Pouring the Spirit into each other and having the Spirit poured back into us. And we can do this, not because of who we are, but because of who God is.